All right, let's pray. Jesus, move in power this morning. God, as we've been going through this series of warfare, we don't want to just be speaking about some good ideas. We, we want the, the truth of the word of God and by the spirit to be activated in our lives so that we know how to respond and how to be and how to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but respond when the enemy tries to distract us from the goal of the kingdom in our lives. And so we pray right now, activate Holy Spirit in our lives. Let the word come alive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You guys doing good? I need a little, I need a little noise from the audience today. Someone, if the, Lord's, if the Lord's speaking, give an amen, give something, all right, all right, that's good. All right, that's good. Just rev it up this morning, that's good. Um, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series of spiritual warfare. The interesting thing about spiritual warfare among the body of Christ or among kind of in Western Christianity specifically, that it seems to be that when we talk about spiritual warfare, that either people have no idea at all what you're talking about, and because they're so trapped in just the, the movements of life that they're not even aware that we have an enemy that's trying to destroy your life. Or on the other side, you have people that are so demon crazed that they're looking for a demon under every rock and hidden place. And every time someone even looks at you with a side eye, they're like, that person has a demon. <laughs> and they, they literally are, are, are maybe even falsely using discernment to start to have a, 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 a kind of cynical look at everyone around them where it becomes demon, uh, almost a demonized, it's not demonized, but like they're, they're like obsessed with, with what's going on on the evil side where they're not even able to focus on what God is doing. And so how do we find the place that is healthy and how believers are supposed to be walking in this earth? Because we're meant to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. But when something comes to distract us, we have to know what to do about it, right? We have to know what to do about it. We have to know what to do about it when our friends or our families are facing difficulties in our lives, facing hopelessness, facing areas of cycles that they can't get out of. How do we actually approach these different areas with power and with grace to see those individuals around us set free and to see our lives walking in total freedom as well? So that's what we've been going after here at Evergreen. And hopefully you've been gleaning these different truths and applying them to your lives. I love getting reports where you guys are applying those things. So today, we are going after weapons of warfare, specifically praise and worship for breakthrough. Praise and worship for breakthrough in our lives. What are some battles that people might be facing? What are you maybe facing today? Where have you lost hope? Where have you lost faith? Where does it feel like you're in a cycle where it feels repetitive, where it feels discouraging? Maybe you've entered into a season of heaviness or have had hopeless thoughts. All of these are impacts of forces of darkness trying to take you out and discourage you from your full potential in Christ. It's, in, it's important that we know how to live confidently and rightly in the battles that we are facing and to live with the full power of redemption that was given to us 2,000 years ago by the cross. 
He paid for it. The kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk. We're not just up here talking a lot of nonsense. We want the power of God to be released by the Holy Spirit in lives. Let's read together from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We, are you getting this? You are demolishers. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We've talked about authority. There's some authority activated here. We're demolishing every negative stronghold and we're taking every thought captive by the authority of Christ that rests inside of you. And we're making those things obedient to Christ. Scripture's filled with ways that God's people can engage with different forms of warfare. And each of these ways both uh, help us defend from attack as well as take ground from the enemy in order to establish a superior realm. That is the realm of the kingdom of God. God doesn't just wanna get you out of the red. He doesn't wanna just get you out of debt. He wants to get you into the black. This is the God that we serve. And I used to say years ago when I, when I worked a marketing job, you know, there was a lot of pressure at that time and it felt like every day we were just kind of surviving to get our projects done for a little while. And even in that moment, I would pause with a couple of other believers and we'd get together and we'd pray and we'd make a little motto that said, survive to thrive. <laughs> and we used to say it every day until we started laughing at it and then finally we started believing it. Because God wants to move you out from a place of surviving, like not just I'm gonna make it through, which you are, I love that song. It's not just I'm gonna make it through. You are gonna make it through and you are going to, to exercise the authority of God in your life, to be so alive in him that you are no longer shackled by just surviving, not just trying to get out of debt, not just getting through your week, but you are activated with a life that is on fire for God. And so this is what we are called into, surviving to thriving in Jesus. And just as Adam and Eve were commissioned in the Garden of Eden to multiply and to extend the garden, extend that peace of God, extend that glory of the Lord, we are called in our lives to do the same with the kingdom of God. That just like Eden, we are meant to expand the rule and reign of the king's domain into our lives and into our families and into our settings. This is what we're called to be. And as we are learning to walk out this great authority, we can be confident as his people that he has ample grace, ample grace and love that covers us as we move forward of learning how to navigate these different spiritual battles. And thank the Lord that we have Jesus with us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. We don't have a God that we're just trying to serve at a distance. He is the one that is with us, speaks to us, that he doesn't call us slaves, he calls us friends. And so anytime you are facing a different battle in your life, we get to tune in. What is our God saying? What is, this, what is this response we are supposed to give through friendship 
to dismantle the work of darkness and bring the kingdom of God in its place. Someone say amen. Amen. And so today we're discussing weapons to engage confidently in spiritual warfare to see great breakthrough and the power of the gospel activated in our lives. The weapon of worship. One of the primary weapons that God has given us in warfare is worship and praise. The enemy clearly wants to fill our minds and our hearts with all kinds of darkness and discouragement. But when we shift our focus and our minds and we shift our heart posture, we begin to align with our original design and our assignment. And our assignment, which is actually living in rich relationship with God himself, when we enter into worship and praise and align ourselves with that kind of relationship, we undo and we expel the works of the enemy that are coming at you. And whether you're aware of it or not, you are designed to be a worshiper of God. It's not just for those that are on stage or for a few sprinkled up front that are giving their expression. What are the ways that you uniquely in your DNA are designed to be a worshiper? It doesn't even have to look a specific way. It's a heart posture. It's a lifestyle. You could be standing still in peace and having the greatest form of worship possible, or you could be dancing your guts out having the greatest form of worship possible, or maybe a little of both on a Sunday morning. But the the idea is that we are giving our everything, that yieldedness, that true surrender, giving your heart, giving your life once again, all, all of yourself for the glory of the king. When we do that, we, we, are, we are, are, are aligning with our original design. We can see this over thousands of years of history, but we also see that when men choose not to engage with worshiping God, we replace that original design with a need of all kinds of other forms of worship. The classic example through the Old Testament is the nation of Israel that the Lord had done miracle after miracle after miracle delivering them from Egypt. The deliverance from Egypt is a sign for us today of how God has brought us out of slavery and out of death, and he has brought us out through the cross. And so the nation of Israel was living it thousands of years ago. They had been brought out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness because they did not have a faith site to go into the land of promise. But as they are wandering in the wilderness, as they are there, wandering around and around, going in circles, there's a time where God beckoned Moses to Mount Sinai where he would meet Moses face to face. And in Exodus 32, when Moses, their leader, went up to the mountain to meet with God, the nation of Israel lost sight of what they were created to be. They lost sight that they were a worshiping people. They lost sight that they were yielded and wanted to be, wanted to be attentive to the one that saved them and provided for them time and time again. And so while Moses was away, what did they do? They took all their gold, they melted it down and made a golden calf. It's like, you, you look at it as an outsider and you're like, how could you possibly do this, Israel? How could you possibly stray from the God that guided you a cloud by day and a fire by night, so real 
so real time and time again where he would provide for you, where there would be manna for you every single day and there'd be quail for you in the evening. But no, I need to, I need to worship something that's tangible. I need to worship something that's visible. And so they came together with a spirit of deception and started worshiping a golden calf. Moses, of course, comes down from the mountain just filled with filled the, a righteous anger of God. But we see that the nation of Israel had been distracted from their original design of worshiping God in that moment. And how quickly we too, like, look at the faithfulness of God and how fast we forget his faithful hand through our lives. Let us not forget his faithful hands and turn to any kind of counterfeit worship. When we aren't worshiping God fully, when we, we aren't fully surrendered to him and giving him our offering of worship, we tend to turn those same affections towards the worship of other things, whether it be worshiping ourselves. I actually, not to call anyone out, but I remember probably about a year ago, I, was, I think I was preaching on something about selflessness and uh, one of my, my best friends kind of came up laughing. He's like, the entire time you were talking about selflessness, someone was just zooming in on all of their photos from a photo shoot and like just examining their face the entire service. I was like, ironic, ironic. They clearly were not listening. So sometimes we worship ourselves. Sometimes that's rooted in insecurity. That's another day. That's another day. Okay. All right. Affections of worship, ourselves, self-focus. You could put your worship onto a relationship. I, I see that too much. Uh, fame, money, attention that you get, our careers, our possessions, anything really that the world has to offer. Anything the world has to offer that we, that we put that attention to is a counterfeit of how you were made to be. Worship is the core of how we were designed. So to bring our focus back to worship towards a God who loves us and made us and leads us, uh, brings us back to our original design and allows us to function and flow in a pure place where you in your life, when you are operating in the righteousness of God activated, are actually called and operating at the highest level that you are meant to be living in for your life uniquely. It's the God-led version of yourself. And so worship is an alignment. Worship is a laying down of your rights. It's a laying down of your understanding. Worship is a lifting up of Jesus above all else. It's a lifting up of Jesus over your circumstances that have not yet been fulfilled. Did you know that God never promises that your circumstances will all go right? He promises that we have a God that loves us and is with us every single moment of our lives. Worship is when he chooses to shine upon us by the favor of his face and shines in us and through us and we are able to shine with that same power and to see darkness flee. When the light of God, when the, the light of his face shines upon you and you partner with that and reflect it back, it expels every bit of darkness that's trying to operate. 
There's a woman named Donna De Silva who who um, is one of the founders of Sozo Ministry. It's a inner healing kind of ministry. And a lot of this was kind of springboarded and inspired from her. She talks about how she was on a trip with a friend of hers and they were in, um, in a hotel with separate beds and her, her friend in the middle of the night was being tormented by a demonic figure. And so in the middle of the night, Donna wakes up and senses the darkness of this demonic figure in the room. And she looks over at her friend and says, are you okay? And the woman's like, no, I'm not. I've just been like flooded with, with thoughts and lies and accusations all night long. And so Donna says that the power of this presence, this dark presence in the room was, was so heavy that at first she felt that it was just swirling in her mind. Like she couldn't even focus or give the words to say or give a response. There was so much confusion. And then she said the, the, that, that the, the power of this darkness was almost trying just to lull her back to sleep. Like she couldn't even sit up because of the, the dark power that was happening. And there was a nauseousness that came very strong all at the same time. Some of these are very common manifestations of a demonic presence in someone's life or the influence trying to take you out in a moment. And so all she knew what to do in that moment was just to begin to softly mutter out what she could. And she began to sing a worship song. You know, she started to sing, there's no one like our God. There is no one like our God who is like him. Oh, oh Lord among gods, who is like unto thee? And her stomach was still churning, but she started to sit up and gain a little confidence as the freedom started to come. And she started singing, glorious are you God in holiness. You are fearful in praises and doing wonders. And she started declaring out and singing out a worship before the Lord, a praise offering before the Lord until within moments by the end of the song, the entire dark presence fled from the room and both she and her friend were in, were in perfect freedom again and peace. Slept like babies the rest of the night. Just one example of when we activate that alignment to God and start to sing out or speak out our praises, our offering, it causes the darkness to scatter. The enemy hates being around a heart that is yielded and surrendered to God. The enemy hates when we actually engage with worship in our hearts. You could sing a lot of worship songs without your heart engaged, but there's something and you know it in your spirit when you're actually engaging with your heart and you're letting that pure flow and river of the Holy Spirit touch that place within you, return you to your first love. And you're like, all right, let these words be rich and true in my life. Operate in power, God. Come like a cleansing river as I give you my praise and my adoration. Our worship is like a holy incense that burns and arises and gives off an aroma of the glory of God. It floods atmospheres with the light of heaven. It is God's liquid love and holiness that causes the darkness to scatter. Uh, one, of my, one of my best friends uh, when I was at ministry school named Robert would tell me about how he grew up uh, agnostic, atheist, kind of like he would, he'd be the one at school that was the annoying one that was always challenging the Christians. He was like, I was, I was definitely the guy that was always challenging them, making fun of them. 
And then God all of a sudden just rocked me. And while he was around college age, he heard that song, How He Loves Us. And something just flooded over him. He could feel it, movement, the moving over him and through him. And all night long in his room, he just played this song on repeat. And he knew the Lord was bringing freedom. And by the end of the night, the Lord had given him a full deliverance from his torment and freedom in Christ from that song. There's something about worship that ignites hearts like only worship can. I want to now talk about 2 Chronicles. So if you could flip there with me. 2 Chronicles. It's one of the clearest examples of this during the the reign of Jehoshaphat. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 through 4. Let's read this together. This is a time when the nation of Israel was having their enemies come against them, and Jehoshaphat and his people, we were extremely nervous, because it's like, what are we going to do? We know we should have faith, but this is a lot. Does anyone ever feel that way in your life when you're facing different kinds of attack? You're like, I know that he's God, but this is a lot. So you can identify, often when we read Old Testament, it is a, is a living example for us to apply to the spirit realm today. And so here we have uh, Josephat. It says in verse one, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Meonites came against Josephat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. He was doing everything he knew what to do. He's like, I got to seek the Lord's face. <laughs> this is a lot. I could, I could either engage with fear or I'm going to seek the face of the Lord. And why don't we call a fast while we're, while we're at it? This is what I knew, know what to do. So all of Judah assembled, verse 4, to help seek the Lord. They came together in unity. They came from all of the cities of Judah to come and seek the Lord. Now come down to verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. Some of you, do you have your holy attire on today? I would have loved to see the holy attire at that time. And they went before the army. And he said, say, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. In God's kingdom, with his ways, he placed musicians on the front lines. That's the kingdom of God. I could put my my most agile warriors at the front lines, or I could put my musicians at the front lines. And he put his musicians up there. I'm putting the worshipers to go first. This is not just imagery. The Lord really did this. He said, the musicians, front lines. Worship, high praise, you're going first. You are to create an atmosphere of worship brought about by one of Israel's most dramatic deliverances and victories in all of scripture. Verse 22 When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were rooted. There was a complete distraction, and they actually started to fight one another. 
For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. They were killing each other. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. This is a move of the Lord. In this passage, the praise of the Lord scrambled the works of the enemy and his power fought on behalf of Israel. There was so much destruction that it took the nation of Israel three days to collect all of the spoil that was left behind after all of the death. It says in verse 24 that when Judah came to the watchtower, they looked toward, they looked out there. They were looking at the destruction. They said, dead bodies lying all around the ground. No one had escaped. Then Jehoshaphat and his people came. They took the spoil. They found it among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, precious things. They took it for themselves until they could carry no more. I feel like this is a sign that where the enemy has tried to come against you, How much more is the Lord saying, look at the plunder that will come when the enemy is scattered and destroyed. What will you gain through this difficulty? The very area of a trial and difficulty in your life right now, are we looking with great expectation that there will be movements of the spirit in your life that when the enemy is scattered, you will be able to reap the benefits and have a greater authority in your own life? When you're finding yourself in the middle of some kind of warfare, possibly worship is the greatest tool that you have. In the midst of any fog of discouragement, praise is what breaks the fog of discouragement and brings an atmosphere of the rising Son of God. His mercy is new every morning. It brings His favor once again. We don't just worship after the fact. We don't just worship like, wow, that was a really hard two months, but I finally got to a place of peace. Now I can come into worship. Thank you, God, that you made a way. We worship when you're in the middle of the storm. We worship in the middle of the difficulty. This is actually the place where you get to arise and shine with your authority. Before you have the feelings, before your mind is rid of the confusion, before you have the greatest faith ever, you actually come into alignment with the faith of Jesus and you say, I don't see how it's all gonna work out yet, but I'm going to arise in my praise, arise in my worship and declare God is good. He is with me, he is for me. If God is with me, who can be against me? This is my God who I serve. Even if I am chained in the prison cell, like Paul and Silas, yet I will give you praise because you are good. This is the life of the Christian. This is the life of one who follows Jesus. That through our offering of praise and worship, we start to align with who we're actually meant to be. We start to engage with trust and faith. We start to align before the things are all, all, all the ducks are in a row, and we start to say, God, here I am. I want to align with you before all of this is aligned. And we get to praise before, before the breakthrough comes. We get to arise above all of the difficulties and say, I am a man that sees these difficulties. I'm not ignoring them, but I have a God who is far above. I have a God that is with me and knows and always has a solution. And God is a God of breakthrough. God is a God that knows that this, this stuff in front of me is hard, but it's not going to weigh me down. And so this is how praise and worship elevates us above anything the world has to offer. The prophet Habakkuk 
stirs us to align with a similar kind of prophetic call in our worship. He too found himself in a time of crisis with God's people, but he chose not just to stew under the heaviness, not just to look at the earthly facts and the circumstances that were before him, but he chose to lift his gaze to heaven and look at heaven's true reality and say, God, what do you have to say about this? I see a lot of these earthly facts that are weighing me down, but Jesus, what do you have to say about it? And he says in Habakkuk 3.17, though the fig tree should not blossom, some of you are looking at your little fiddle leaf fig and it is not doing good. (laughs) Though that fiddle leaf is not blossoming, nor fruit be on the vines. Some of you are like, where is the fruit on the vines of my life? I have been in this city for a while. I feel like I'm trying to be in good soil, good community, go and be a part of worship nights. I'm trying to do all the things. Where is the fruitfulness, God? He says, though you do not see the fruit on the vines yet, the produce of the olive fail, the fruit, the the fields yield no food. Some of you are like, this is not a fruitful season. I'm not seeing it. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. I know some of you are like, you know, those other ones didn't make sense, but that one, you know, the, the herds in the stalls really hit, really hit deep. Verse 18, all of that, all the, all the difficulty, not seeing it yet, there's no fruit, there's no lemons on the tree, there's no oranges, there's no grapes, there's no little sheep in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, he is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on high places. He takes you up. He takes you higher. He takes you higher. This is our God. When we align our will during the discouragement time, our worship creates a space for God to breathe upon. It ignites a holy faith, a yielding that God can move upon. It's actually an act of authority that ignites in believers, applying the blood of Jesus over your lives and over your circumstances. And therefore, worship is also a prophetic declaration. Prophetic declarations help us see what God has said through scripture and what God has said by his spirit. It allows us to grab a hold of those promises. And though you may not feel like they are close, It might feel like they are distant. Where's my spouse? Where's my career? Where's my happiness? Where are these areas? I feel like I'm just grabbing and nothing's coming. He says, though you might feel all of those things and they feel they are distant and out of reach, it's when we are in those times of warfare that it's imperative that we choose to arise by the willpower within us and the authority within us to shine because our light has come, his name is Jesus, and we declare God's truth over us. We declare God's truth over us. Even Job, he went through the most horrendous kind of stealing by the enemy, robbing almost every part of his life. 
and he arose towards the end of the book. And this is what he declared in Job 22, verse 26. He's declaring this out over his own life. He's he's almost like, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter. It will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. When we choose to prophetically partner with God's promises before they are seen in the natural, it creates within us a yielding of the fruit of hope. If you are consumed with the heaviness of what you are seeing and feeling and experiencing in the natural, don't just pray against what you're seeing and experiencing. We have to get on the offense. Question for you. What is heaven's solution for the darkness? What is heaven's solution for the pain that you are experiencing? What will that person look like when God's redemptive power hits their heart that you are so struggling with? What will it look like when that part of town that you have difficulty in is filled with believers who are operating in God's creativity and want to bless one another? We have authority to hear. We have authority to see. And that seeing in the spirit is, is, is connecting to what the redemptive power of God has to say about your life, about that relationship, about that job, about that area of town. And we are connecting to the vision of heaven and saying, God, what do you have to say about it? What do you say in scripture? And what do you say by your spirit that I then can connect with authority and speak it out? in my praise, and my worship, and my prophetic declarations. It's releasing the authority of God for a transformative kind of power. God is looking for those who are not just victims, not just victims even in the way that you pray. He's looking for those that will arise victorious. And he's looking for those who will co-labor with God to take his promises and declare it with the power of the Holy Spirit through our song and our word and our prayer and not back down, but actually continue to align with the will of heaven in our lives. So when we're looking at the story of Jehoshaphat, they too were so overwhelmed by the warfare that they were facing all around them. They were scared, they were crippled, they felt weak. And I know that all of us go into places and times where we feel crippled, weak, disengaged. Where are you, God? I need you to break through. And so we, we see in Second Chronicles that when they were afraid, they stopped, they paused, They didn't just try to make it happen in their own strength. But what did they do? They sought the face of the Lord. Together, they sought the face of the Lord. Sometimes we are meant to grab those around us and say, hey, I'm struggling. Will you seek the face of God with me? Grab one, two together. He says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I will be in my midst. Is he not there when it's just you? Of course not. But there's a special grace upon his presence when we gather together. He proclaimed a fast. Could it be in your own life that even fasting is a key for breakthrough in your life? Could it be? Some of you have never even tried to fast. That's okay. Could it be that the Lord is prompting you 
to enter into a fast to see the breakthrough of God in your life. And then I love that Judah assembled together to seek the Lord. There's something about a community of people like we do here coming together to seek the face of God and to see a special grace poured out in unity that brings a breakthrough in a whole community of people. In verse five through 17, he's actually, he's trying to rev his own engine. He's revving it up. He's like, Jehoshaphat, I've seen God come through before. I've seen him come through in the nation of Israel in all these ways. He's recounting the testimony of, of days past. And in this time, I love this is how the prophetic decree came. They were all standing before the Lord, all of Judah before the Lord, seeking his face. It says their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came as they sought his face, as they waited. Sometimes there's an active waiting in our own lives. We wait upon the Lord. And then he comes. He speaks. Here he came upon he came upon an individual, and this individual prophesied, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And when the Lord speaks with that kind of authority, it's not just good words that are a good idea, it's flooded and power-packed with the anointing of God to bring about a thing. And the following verses were a prophetic vision of what God was going to do. Jehoshaphat bowed his head, face to the ground, authority and fear of the Lord, humility before the Lord, face to the ground. And all of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. And the Levites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. This kind of seeking God's face in prayer, fasting, worship, desperate for his voice, seeking his face, his move. God, we've got to have your move. We've got to have it your way. We've got to connect with the anointing of God. There's no other option. Getting his perspective prophetically, it ignites the eyes of faith and hope within us. It releases the glory of his power and presence for breakthrough and the power and presence for protection in our lives. This is the word of the Lord. And I love how Jesus brings this into a reality in John chapter 14. And through this living relationship with the Father, says John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is not a flippant kind of, well, I, I would really like a big house, up in the hills. I would really like a fatter paycheck. I would really, this is not just you rattling off things that you desire. That's actually really sloppy. This is meant to be glorifying to the Lord. That's why it says, do this that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you feel a prompting within your heart that the Lord is calling you into something, ask, ask him. Ask him wholehearted. 
Say, God, this is for your glory. This is for your fame. This is something that I need. Father, would you do this? And as you ignite your faith and align it through prayer, through worship, through fasting, there's a promise that ask me anything in my name and I will do it. There's a confidence in our relationship with God, expecting that God will show up. He will deliver. He will bring a solution by his power and his might. And so I felt like it's only appropriate to end today with praise and worship. Praise and worship. You get that play on words? War. We're warring. Worship. It's really, really funny. I know. So would you guys stand up with me? We're going to end today with some praise and worship. As the worship team's getting up here and settled, would we actually ask God to make this a reality in our lives? Would you go ahead and put your hand over your heart? God, even right now, we're talking about praise and worship. We ask by the Holy Spirit, God, that this, that this, what we're reading about Jehoshaphat, what we're reading from John 14, what we're reading from Chronicles, that this would be alive and well within us, that we would be a worshiping people, that part of our calling and our DNA is to be priests before the Lord, where we bring our offering of praise, where sometimes we might not even feel it, but we give our offering before you. And so I thank you, God, whether it's an overflow today or whether it's an igniting because you are deserving of all praise and honor and glory, we thank you that we can rise above our circumstances, rise above whatever's coming at us, rise above any kind of warfare that's going on in our lives. And we invite in the glory of God, the light of God that causes all darkness to flee and to scatter. And so we come together with one voice and one heartbeat aligning with the heartbeat of the Father, and we lift up the name of Jesus. Let it echo out to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's worship together this morning, church.